but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about our union with Christ, and, and here's why. <clears throat> I, want to, I want to certainly look at the biblical basis of it and why it matters to us. This is just a topic that I think is a lot of times assumed. And I'm not calling anyone to fault, obviously, that you've, you've had the privilege to sit under. I think you probably are going to be a little more educated in this area than a lot of places that we teach. But I think I just want to slow down today and just walk through the beauty of this doctrine. Uh, it, it, and just hopefully it will be a blessing to us, because it's a blessing to me just thinking through it and getting ready for this. Uh, Bruce Demarest has a fantastic book called The Cross and Salvation. He says this about our, our, this doctrine. He says, Outside the broadly Reformed tradition, the idea of union with Christ has been undervalued. The outcome of this deficiency is that the majority of Christians much more frequently think of Christ as Savior outside of them than as a Savior who dwells within. So I, I want to just... Maybe this describes some of us. Maybe it certainly describes some of the people we know or people we minister to. Does it really matter when we're discussing heavy things that we're dealing with Tuesday uh, or, or, or whatever's going on in our life? The truth is the testimony of the New Testament is that our union with Christ is a benchmark reality of the Christian life. In, in a sense... As Wayne Grudem says, every aspect of God's relationship to believers is in some way connected to that relationship that we have with Christ. It's like the silver thread that's woven throughout all the other things that we talk about when we talk about living for the Lord. Paul, in, in the Pauline epistles, he mentions this in one way or another 216 times. So probably a, a not so gentle hint from the Holy Spirit that we should pay attention to this, this doctrine. So let me pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you for this privilege to be here uh, with these brothers and sisters and to worship with them this morning. Uh, Lord, I'm just always humbled to be here with this group and uh, just the love uh, that we share and the history that we share uh, because of our union with Christ, because of our common um, part of the, the greater body of Christ. We, thank, we pray that you would continue to bless this church and those who lead it, uh, as well as its members, as they prepare for their new building uh, as they uh, just continue to serve and impact their community in the many ways that they do. Just thank you for uh, your word, and thank you for all that it has to say. Just help us to scratch the surface in some way this morning as we think about our dear Savior and our relationship that we have with him because of what he did for us on the cross. Amen. All right, so you have some notes. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of stick through them a little bit. And, and, I, and we've got, when do we end in here? 1030? Wow, and, but there's going to be some fellowship and stuff too at the end, right? Okay, so I'll just take about an hour uh, and then maybe, maybe a little more. We'll see. Uh, so here's some, here's some, this feels kind of dry to get started, right? But let's, let's look at the biblical basis of this. Let's define what we mean by this and then just really just soak it in a little bit. Um, so as you see in your notes, hopefully you have the, that is in front of you. It's, it's, a, it's a relation of personal identification and fellowship with Christ. Okay, and, and it's pretty profound. As a matter of fact, there's some mystery to it that we'll show you here in just a minute. Uh, in Romans 6, and, and our church has been in Romans for a while now, by the way. That's, that's what Paul Amy's going through, Romans. I, I think it's been about four years. And we're in Romans 12. So we're at the point now, I was telling somebody yesterday, where people are starting to tell time by the chapter of Romans that, you know, it's like, hey, I joined in Romans 3. It's like, cool, I was baptized in Romans 6, you know. And so we're going to be in it for a little longer, but we've, we've turned that corner 
into 12, uh, 13, and 14, and it's just amazing to pull in all the richness of those first 11 chapters into these applications. And so we're just, we're having a great time. But I remember way back in Romans 6 uh, that our union with Christ, it, it marks the reality of our conversion, as we, we, we mentioned. We have, it says we have died with Christ. That's the end of our old existence on the other side of the cross for, for the believer. And we've been raised to new life with Him, which is the beginning of the new. So anything that we have the ability to do by grace is because of that union. It's rooted in that union. It's proven out in the life of every one of us uh, in sanctification and perseverance. Uh, And and it's it's bonded. uh, The bond is from the Holy Spirit. It cements all of us together. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we are also bonded together because of that union. When does it happen? When does it happen? Yeah, the point of salvation. It's part of God's eternal plan, so it's made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ, and it was realized at the point of salvation, which is an act uh, of God alone, right, at one point in time, uh, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when He indwells the new believer. You see this in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. I like Galatians 2.20. Go back to it for so many things. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is one of the... We'll make this observation probably a little bit later, too. I may be jumping ahead, but... Sometimes it says, you may be thinking, sometimes it says, I'm in Christ, and sometimes it says, Christ is in me. And Paul almost uses those interchangeably, which I think should give us an indication of just how intimate that relationship is, when you can use those phrases interchangeably, and how wonderful that is. Uh, so what's, what's the nature of it? What is, what is the union itself? What is, and it's, how can I wrap my head around it? And I mentioned earlier that it is sort of mysterious, there is a mystery to it in a sense, right? In, in, we see in Colossians 1.27 it says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Even the Bible says it's, it's sort of a mystery. It, it doesn't, and what it means by that is it doesn't unfold the precise nature of this union exactly. It's not, but it's not a unity uh, in essence between man and God. That's for Christ Right, the, the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's not in essence, but it's, it's a mysterious union. It, it, it means it just transcends our human understanding to a degree. But we know it's there, and we know all we need to know about it to live a godly life. We know all we need to know about it to respond to it, uh, but it is an intimate union. We enjoy some kind of unique identity and fellowship with Jesus, and it's so intimate, as I mentioned before, that Christ and the believer and the believer in Christ is almost used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. It's also comprehensive. It's not just a piece of me. Uh, It's our entire life. All of our actions are now exercised in relation to the person and work of Christ. Uh, In other words, when we talk about being Christ-centered, it's comprehensively controlled by the love of Christ. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 for the love of Christ controls us. Notice it doesn't say, for my love for Christ. So therefore, I've got to, have a, I've got to whip up a, a stronger love for the Lord. It's the love of Christ that's in me. That controls us. 
Having concluded this, and what does this control look like? That one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Sounds a little bit like Galatians 2.20, doesn't it? Just with a few more words. Uh, the love of Christ controls us. I think it's, I remind counselors a lot of times we go to this passage and we go, you know, throughout the week, when you're, when you're struggling with this thing that we're talking about, ask yourself this, what's controlling me right now? If somebody who doesn't know me well, just observe that, or observe that in different moments, what would they conclude? What's controlling Tim Keeter right now uh, in this situation? Um, it's a good question for us, so that we pray for that, that, that that maturity would continue to grow in our life. But at the point of salvation, our character and our personality are radically changed by the Holy Spirit. Radically. And, and it's, it is comprehensive, too. As a matter of fact, I, I think of Ephesians uh, uh, 1, verse 3. Uh, you know, sometimes we think and we act a little bit like we are... I'm sp- we're talking about other people here, not us. Never mind. All these other people think and act a little bit like, you know, the Christian life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I, I can do this much and then eventually I can, I can grab some other stuff and I can do a little more in my, in my walk. And that's not really true. In, ver- in, in chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with 50% of the spiritual blessings, right? Or 90. No, every spiritual blessing. The beauty of that is, from the get-go, from day one as a new believer, you have all of it. And, and the, the maturity as we walk in the Christian life isn't about getting more of something, of, of grace or something, so that we can walk more mature. It's appropriating better what you already have. You've got it. All. Every spiritual blessing right out of the gate. Amazing to me. Um, that his, his indwelling, His gifts, they're put in the hearts of every believer. And it's eternal. It's indissoluble. I love that aspect of it. It's going to be that way forever. In Christ, we possess eternal life, which is the, by the way, that's the, one of the most important dynamics for us to think about now, is eternity. Most of God's promises are in the future. We, we are reminded frequently to think about eternity, to put the things that we deal with now in perspective so that we may live more uh, worthy of what the Lord has done for us now. It's a dynamic that, that shapes that. Our hope in the future, it just produces a whole new quality of life. A whole new quality of life. Uh, last night, my brother and I were watching a basketball game that we won't talk about today. Uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, my wife and I like to watch them at home and we'll, we'll record them. Uh, and so we'll go back and watch them later and go through the commercials and all that. But it's just because we just didn't have time to watch it live. And sometimes somebody will text me or say something to me and then I will know at the beginning who won. And let's say it's my team, right? And... and uh, it, it, it presents a weird dynamic when you're watching the game, right? You're still trying to enjoy the game, but you already know the outcome. Even, and if it gets really close and your team does something really bad, and you're like, oh, man. Normally, it's like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? Are we going to you know, start a slide, and then we're never going to come back? And by the way, I sleep just fine when my team loses. Um, I decided a long time ago not to put my personal happiness in the hands of a bunch of 19- and 20-year-olds. Um, uh, and they regularly remind me of that. Um, but when you already know and something like that happens, it's not a, oh, man, I wonder what's, you know, this is, I, bet, I bet we're going to lose what's going to happen. It's, 
Wow, how are they going to overcome that? It's a completely different perspective. And we live our life that way. We're to live as believers. We know the outcome. We know the assurance of what we've been given. And, and the troubles and trials we deal with now need to be thought of in light of that. Is a reflection of that. How is the Lord going to force this situation to do good to me? How is he going to help create something better than, than the plans that I had or the desires that I had? Because everything the Lord does, he does well and he does right and he does good. Everything. I don't always live that way, but I need to be reminded of that. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I'm convinced. So this is eternal, an eternal uh, uh, dynamic. And this sets up verses nine th- uh, chapters 9 through 11 really well. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created things, just a comprehensive list, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. We see a lot of illustrations in the New Testament. The vine and the branches won't really go into all of that in James and John 15 of what, what this union kind of looks like grafting in and, and being a part of the vine, which, which you know, the, the branch itself depends completely on the vine for its nourishment and its life but it becomes a part of it. Uh, I like John fourteen twenty about the union between Christ and the Father. Uh, this is an interesting one, and I want to address it. It says, in, the, in that day, John fourteen twenty, you will know that I am in my Father, this is Christ talking, and you in me, and I in you. And you go, so are we going to conflate all those things together? Uh, verse 23 talks, it says, it talks about the union of life and love. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. What's not obvious there in our English language is that there's a difference in John's language between the Father-Son union and, and, and his union with us. That's a union of their being and essence of who they are. We don't share that. We don't have that. Uh, or the Christ church union is one of abiding. It's an abode. It's, it's, a, it's a dwelling that's incredibly, fully, comprehensively intimate. So let's not, we don't want to go off that, that deep in there, right? There's a great illustration of a building in Ephesians 2, uh, where Christ is the cornerstone, remember that one? And the apostles are the foundation, and the believers are the individual stones of, an, of a single, unified building. Uh, that that kind of gives us some insight into what that's like. Uh, we can understand union from the perspective of our union with Adam. The whole human race has a union with Adam in a sense. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So we have this natural solidarity with Adam that's passed on from person to person, but we have this spiritual solidarity in a sense with Christ, who is the head of this new race, this new race of believers uh, that have been born to new life. Uh, the human body constituted of all of its part, Roman, Romans 12, 4 through 5. Paul just preached on this a couple weeks ago. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. This is part of what we do and we celebrate together with our church families, isn't it? We acknowledge this. We gain this personal reunion with Christ individually, but we also have this corporate union with one another. All believers. Because we're all in Christ. And so we had, that, that's, a, that's a unique and wonderful connection. And as Paul Lamy usually reminds us sometimes, looking out over our, 
odd collection of people on Sunday morning. There's nothing else that would ever get this group of people together. Nothing. I mean, where else would you see the diversity of the people that we have uh, all come together the way we do? And, of course, we can get some insight between the union between a husband and wife in Ephesians 5. Two formerly unrelated individuals become an interdependent union. The two become one flesh. So, again, all these kind of give us a picture of what's meant by this connection we have with our Lord. He's not the Savior outside of us. He's the Savior within us. And that's super important. Why? Glad you asked, right? Implications for Christian living. Let's really talk about why this matters. There's the biblical basis. We could spend a lot of time, you know, even more time peeling through some of that. So that was just a quick summary of what we see in Scripture about it. But what are the outcomes? What does it matter because I have union with Christ and because you have that as, a, as another believer in your life and your experience? How does it, this reality affect how you live your life in terms of you know, the power that you possess, the empowerment that you possess for obedience, your sanctification, which is the growing and being, you know, taking a step towards Christ-likeness, which we're doing together, being set apart from sin unto righteousness, and how you serve one another. What does that matter? Uh, and should it matter? And should I be thinking about it when I'm doing those things? Uh, so we have to start at the beginning of how do we even please the Lord? How do we even obey? And our union with Christ is indeed the starting point of our sanctification, our ability. The greatest breakthrough, by the way, for every one of us is what happens when we're given a new birth. You realize that? No matter what it is that you've recently gone through, that you're going through now, you realize your greatest breakthrough is already behind you if you walk in the Lord. Isn't that great? In a sense, he reminds us of that, like in Romans 8.32, this argument from the greatest to the least. Hey, I did not, he says, I did not withhold my only son from you. How will he not also through him give us every good thing? Like the psalmist, they teach us to look back. They teach us to look back and see God's faithfulness. And, and I think a lot of us can do that. If we're, if we're thinking biblically and wise about some of the trials that we're out of now, we can see God's hand in it, can't we? And we can tell people, and we love to tell people about that. Now, I didn't necessarily have that attitude in the trial. And it's kind of weird that we can do that so easily sometimes, and yet we project our fears into the future about some of these other things. And we forget to send His grace with those projections. We can see them back here. Well, they're going to be there too. We just don't see how it's going to play out. But let's not forget that God's faithfulness that has always been there, it's there right now. And whatever it is that I'm wondering is going to happen or fearing is going to happen, he will, His grace will be there too. It will always be there. Partly, well, fundamentally or foundationally because I have union with Christ. That's an eternal commitment. That's the starting point. Uh, Alan Chapel, another really good book, True Devotion. Man, that, I need to go back and read that one again, I think. The, he says, as a result of this new birth, progress in the Christian life is the process of becoming what we are already. It's kind of what I was talking about in Ephesians 1.3, 1, 1 verses 3 earlier. So holiness is not a distant goal. It's our starting point. We just need to know how to appropriate it better. And that's what maturity is, learning how to use the resources you've been given. I think that's a comfort to me. That's a comfort. That's, that's a completely different way of going about achieving this goal of living for the glory of God in all situations. Taking every ailment, every opportunity, every, every success, every, every little victory, every trial, every difficulty, 
and, and maximizing how we point people to the Lord through it. That's it. That's our goal. It's vital to understanding that this is our starting point. We're not progressively requiring what we do not have, but appropriating what we've had since the beginning of our new life. So out of God's riches, He gives us what He wants to find in us. This is another way to think about it. He gives us what He wants to find in us and makes us what He wants us to be, progressively conforming us to our actual status in Christ. He's just working that through us. Out of His riches. So what's the result of that? We've been crucified and died with Christ, number one, uh, and let her be there. We've been crucified and died with Christ. Because of that, our old self with its anti-God, rebellious biases and sinful passions has been rendered powerless. Powerless. Well, it doesn't feel powerless sometimes, but it is powerless. That means because of what Christ did for you, you no longer have to sin. Every difficulty and trial and and temptation and all that is always, always, always an opportunity for obedience. Always. Grudem says, it's as if the Holy Spirit reproduces Jesus' death and resurrection in our life when we believe in Christ. We become so unresponsive to our previous sinful way of life that Paul can even say we're dead to these influences. That's a meditation that we could just park in for a little while, isn't it? It's as if we were dead. That's exactly right. Colossians 2.20 If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and this is an exhortation or a little bit of an admonition, as if you were, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees and all these other things? We no longer, we may respond things, but we no longer respond slavishly to those worldly things. We're no longer slaves to it. What a freedom. Uh, we don't want to take that for granted. We need... So how... I mean, this is part of why we, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So that we don't forget. Because we do forget. And we can be deceived. Over, over and over and over again we see that in the New Testament. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. We know the Holy Spirit didn't write the Bible to Himself. So if He says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, what, what can we assume about us? Yeah, we get deceived. No, not me. It's all those other people. We've been crucified and, we, and, and, die, and died with Christ. We've also been buried with Christ and we've been made alive with Him. Because we're buried with Christ, that's an indicator that we are free from the yoke of the law and we have liberty in Him. That's what I mean by we no longer have to sin. Galatians 2.4 But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. I hope this changes the way you read some of these epistles, in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. Uh, In other words, Paul is saying, sin's dominion over us has died. We've completely broken from our old way of life. And we've been made alive, number three, in Christ. So we now have the power to overcome personal sin more and more and more as we grow. And of course, growth in the Lord isn't something that we just sit back and let happen to us. God's sprinkling His wiffle dust over us. Come on, I need another dose today. Right? It, it, it's certainly made possible by, and the activity is by the Godhead. Right? The Father purges the fruitful vine. Uh, Christ washes us by the water of the Word. And the Holy Spirit matures us. It's all His work. But we have a responsibility too. And it's all through the Word, by the way. 
We can get pretty desperate about you know, all kinds of things sometimes. Um, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you through the Word, and that's it. I love reading books, but those books are only useful so far as they help me understand the Word. Yeah. But I also have a, a responsibility to participate to the fullest with the Lord and, and faithful obedience. There's a lot of second-person type grammar in the New Testament. You discipline yourself to godliness. You put on, you put off, you you know, exercise these things that you've been given. Because we now have the power to do that. The Lord gives us what we need, needs. Romans 8.10, if Christ is in you, since Christ is in you, we can understand that, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 4-5, but God, I love this part, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. I, I fear that I've, you know, I've, I've been in churches. I'm so thankful and, and, and been in faithful churches in my whole life that I could just read this and not be moved enough by it to be made alive in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, Second Corinthians five, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away; new things have come. I mentioned Romans six earlier when it talks about not letting sin reign in our mortal bodies. But present yourselves to God, he says, as those alive from the dead. It's amazing. Amazing. And he, and he admits it. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. This is hard to understand. It's hard to wrap your finite minds around. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further law, lawlessness, so it pre- death begat death begat death, death. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So it is, it is part of our, what we do and what we need to do out of obedience to Christ, living for Him as the love of Christ controls us. Grudem says we find ourselves wanting to serve God. Wanting. And able to serve Him with greater power and success, so much so that Paul says we are now alive to God. So what does it mean in Christ? In Christ then, the result is we are, and then here's a list for you, we're strengthened. This is all the testimony of the Word. I want the Word to do the heavy lifting this morning on some of this. We're strengthened. We lack strength. You know, you know grace is for the weak, by the way. That's what it's for. It's okay. We're weak. And we're strengthened through that. It's not for those who have these self-delusions of strength uh, in and of themselves. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, so what's Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. In Philippians 4.13, in context, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content. I can, the circumstances should not affect my joy in the Lord in a lot of ways what he's saying. The things going on in my life, they only give testimony to it. We're strengthened in Christ. We are wise in Christ. We want wisdom. We should be praying for it. We should be searching for it in the scriptures and for those around us that the Lord has given us provision uh, to teach us and instruct us and, and help us. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're prudent in Christ. We're weak, Paul being a little bit sarcastic. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. But we are wise in Christ. He makes us wise. We're enriched spiritually. 
1 Corinthians 1, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. We do have spiritual victory in Him. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Leads us in triumph in Christ. We're abundantly blessed. I mentioned Ephesians 1.3 already. He's not just given us, like I said, lots of blessing. He's given us all of it. we got it all. Christian growth, Alan Chappell goes on to say, does not mean starting with very little and gradually acquiring more. It means progressively taking hold of what we have already. I know I said this already. I just can't get over it. It's such a great concept. It's such a great reminder to us. He does not simply cancel the charge. I like this too from Forsyth. He does not simply cancel the charge against us in court and bid us walk out of jail. He meets us at the prison door and puts us into a new way of life. He doesn't just go, hey, you're free, get out. He welcomes us. And he goes with us. Number four, having been raised with Christ. Buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. That means that we're near to God. We enjoy His presence. We have comfort and encouragement in Him. Again, we, we keep seeing this in Christ, right? We're, we're, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, that's not an if like, I hope there is some if, it's a sense. Right? There is, and therefore, he goes on in Philippians to point out the result of that and how it's to be reflected in our life. We rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That doesn't mean that we put on plastic smiles, obviously, and just pretend like nothing's going wrong. Now, we, we do smile a lot on Sundays, and that's good because we have the joy of being together. And, and stirring one another up and provoking one another up to good works and, and rejoicing in, in our salvation. But our rejoicing here is to be in the Lord. Not in our circumstances, not in other people, not in other things going on, because God is always the same. The Lord is always the same. And even though we can grieve rightly and, and struggle rightly with other things, our joy in the Lord has to stay there. And, and when, this, when this other thing, that whatever it is going on in Tim's life begins to overtake this, then it has taken a position that it ought not to have. Then maybe my desire for relief has become greater than he who is in me in that regard. We hope, we hope in Christ, to whom God willed to make known, Colossians 1.27, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, you know, we don't have a hope like a hope-so hope. Like the world would talk about, I hope this works out. I hope we win this game. I hope whatever. Uh, I hope we get the job. I hope I don't get fired. <laughs> I hope we get to go to space. Um, we, have, we have a hope that is definite and assured. assured. It, it, it's a different kind of hope. And it's, it's not a thing. It's not a circumstance. It's a person. Hope is anchored in Christ, Hebrews tells us. And in Christ we are safe. We are safe because we've been raised with Him. No one who is born of God sins. 1 John 5, understand, is characterized right by sin, is, is slavishly characterized by sin. But he who is born of God keeps Him, and the evil one does not touch Him. Wow. We'll also be glorified with Him. 
when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's the future resurrection of our physical bodies. We enjoy everlasting life in the new heaven and new earth. Can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. And we're going to participate in his heavenly rule, like it talks about in, in Romans eight 17. We'll be glorified with him. That's my favorite part of progressive sanctification, is it's going to be over one day. One day, one day, Tim Keeter will sin his last sin. And then I will forever be with my Lord. Seeing him as he is, all completely and forever removed from the pains, the difficulties, the disappointments, the struggles of this sin-cursed world. Completely. And I'll just wait for the rest of y'all. Right? That's amazing. Gives us hope, right? It should. It should strengthen us. Yet we're so frequently deceived and we forget. And we need to be reminded. So look, I know I just got out of a counseling conference, so you're kind of in trouble there. But, you know, you go, hey, man, I'm, I didn't go to the counseling conference, not getting certified, so don't check out on me. Because we still walk through things together. And you're all counselors, whether you want to be or not, because you all, you know, we, we bear, if you're getting relationships the way you're supposed to here, then we're, we're listening and we're bearing one another's burdens and we're walking with one another and we're, and people will talk to you and then they're going to stop talking and look at you and it's your time to say something. <laughs> Um, and that's a scary moment sometimes, right? But let me just say this. You'll never go wrong pointing people to Jesus. Even if you don't know all the right stuff to say, just do that, point them to Jesus, and then give them Joel's telephone number. <laughs> right? Point them to Jesus. Uh, and then if Joel does what I do, I go, well, who is it you were talking to? Bring them along too. <laughs> we're going to do some training. Um, because we walk together. Through these things, and we were, we, you know, one of the one of the best parts about walking through difficulties together is that we're trying to help gently and lovingly get their eyes off themselves, off of Tim and on the Lord, by reminding them of where we're headed, of what's already been secured for us, and what's the most important dimension of life is eternity. It is. So we respond. How do we respond to this? Why? John Murray says, Does the believer entertain the thought of God's determinate counsel with such joy? Why? Why can we have patience in the perplexities and adversities of the present? Why can we have confident assurance with reference to the future and rejoice in hope of the glory of God? It is because he cannot think of past, present, or future apart from our union with Christ. Important doctrine? Yeah, you bet. Past, present, and future. We cannot think about it. It defines everything. So what do we do then? What's our to-do list walking out of here? If we say, all right, I want to appropriate this this doctrine more visibly and more tangibly in my own life. What am I going to do? What's my right response? We've seen the biblical basis of it. We've looked at it, at a lot of the truths about it, what Scripture has to say, not all of it. Uh, look for it in your reading, though. Look for in Christ and Christ in you. But let me, let me say this. If I could boil it down to just a handful of things, here it is. Seek vital communion. Colossians 3 says this. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So do you see that? Uh, letter C, our response to our union with Christ. Number one, seek vital communion. Um, I see some flipping of pages. Like, where, where is this guy? Um, so, 
vital communion. That means what? That means communion with the Lord, certainly an awareness and a dependency of the divine presence in our hearts. It means that. It's a heightened sense of dependence upon the Lord. Remembering that your ability to do anything is given to you. Even your ability to work and earn that paycheck and the bonuses or whatever it is that you, you're proud of, right? Even all the stuff that's on your LinkedIn profile, the Lord gives you the ability for that. He does. Um, it's all Him. And we depend on Him for even the smallest acts of kindness or the smallest bearing of fruit in our life. And it's a testimony to His love, not how great and wonderful I am. It's all Him. And you know what? When I get to the point then where, you know, sometimes progressive sanctification is a ton of fun, man. The wind's flowing through your hair and you're just blasting off in the right direction and things are going great and you're reading and you're studying and you're growing and you're talking and thinking about the Lord and stuff's going well. Sometimes it's not quite, very rarely it's that way. Sometimes it's more of maybe a, like a slow jog right? or a labored jog or maybe a quick walk. Um, sometimes it's a crawl. Sometimes it's enough just to stand and face and go, Lord, help me. Help me. Um, And it's in those moments that we need to remember this as well. We need to remember that I have Christ in me. I can. I can. And I need to. And it's a joy to. It's a joy, and, and it has to be more important to me, friends, that the key is this. What does God achieve out of all your trials and suffering? What does He achieve? Yeah, sanctification. In, in Alabama, we say, make you more like Jesus, right? In everyone, He forces that for you, believer. That's not comforting to me unless that's the most important priority in my life either, though. I can acknowledge that all day long. But that has to be more important to me than relief from whatever it is I'm dealing with from even knowing what the resolution is going to be. Just because I don't know doesn't change the wisdom of His will. But man, I want to know stuff. I, I generally start off on a trial with a lot of questions that I would like to answer. And, I, and maybe I need to be reminded that the moment God wants me to know the answers, guess what? I will know that moment. And the moment, the moment God wants that trial to end, guess what? It will. And if it ends too soon, I'll take it for granted. Probably. And if it ends a moment too late, it'll be more than I can bear. Our Lord is always right on time. Always right on time. I can trust that. I can stand on that promise that sin will not be master over me. I can stand on that because I have Christ in me and I am in Christ. Maybe now I I can share with you my favorite illustration of this, right? Um... This is not a commentary. I said this. I think I told this to one of the classes. This is not a commentary on Disney. Okay, let's not. Don't no emails. Um, let's pretend that you work for Disney. You're a younger younger person or something, and your job is your Mickey Mouse. That's what you got to put on the big head, and the suit, and the the creepy big white hands, right, with those fingers. Um, and that's your job. That's what you're paid to do, and you got to get up and do that every day in the. Magic Kingdom Park, right? And uh, but you're you're not doing real well this summer. You're not doing great at all. You're you're really just depressed. You're really struggling with a lot of things. You're doubting a lot of stuff in your life. 
And it's hard. People around you who work around you see it. They're concerned. They don't know what to do. But it's 8 o'clock in the morning. You've got to stick that head on. You've got to go out into the magic kingdom. Right? So you do. You put the, put the suit on. You go out there with your energy. And you stand out there. And the kids see you. These little kids, they see you, right? And what do they do? They run to you. Some of them scream, right? Because they don't like... But the ones that... They run to you. Because they don't... And they, and they don't see the depressed, sad, heavy, burdened individual. They don't know that person. They don't run to you because of that. They run to you because of Mickey. And all the love they have for Mickey, all the adoration that they have built up in their little hearts, little tiny little undiscerning hearts, they pour out on you. They pour out on you because you're in Mickey. Right? And maybe that's a little inspiring to you. So you try to act a little more like Mickey for the kids, for their love being poured out on you. And friends, we are in Mickey and Christ. All the love the Father has for the Son, all of His adoration, all of His purposes are poured out on you because you're in Christ. That's it. There. He satisfied all of God's wrath, even on my worst day as a believer. There's no mixture of wrath in, in his response to my sin. Isn't it crazy to think about a little bit? There's no mixture of wrath. That's been satisfied. It's done. That's not, that's not a, free, a free ticket. That's not part of who I am now in Christ, where I have a free ticket to go do what I want to. It grieves him. And there is discipline involved. And, and rebuke and those kinds of things and reproof. But I'm, we're in Christ. And that defines my relationship with the Father. And it's a beautiful one. Just as beautiful as you can imagine. It's more beautiful than you can imagine. More beautiful. Even though inside of that, I'm more sinful than I would probably care to admit. Yeah? Isn't that great? You're in Mickey. All of us this morning. So seek vital communion. We, we learn, we grow, we experience the knowledge of the Father's love, the Son's grace, and the Spirit's consolations as we walk through time. We do that together. We fellowship together with the Father and Son through the Spirit. Seek that communion together. Seek it by reminding yourself of your communion with the Lord in all times. In all times. Number two, seek fruitfulness. Only in our union with Christ can there be crucifixion and mortification of the works of the flesh, the forsaking of sin. You know, our confession and repentance always, even in the Old Testament, isn't just, oh, I need to stop doing that. I'm sorry I did it. You know, help me not do it again. Amen. Right? It's, it's always a turning from sin and towards righteousness. It's always a turning to something. And that's all made possible, again, by our, our union with Christ. And, and to be able to forsake sin, which is a continual turning and a continual correction and a continual for, confession and, and asking the Lord over and over and over to forgive us because He never tires of that. I don't need to believe the lie. Right? But, I, but in, in every time I do... We're, we're, we're crucifying a little more, we're mortifying a little more, and we're building things around us. And if you're not sure what that looks like in your specific application, find 
find one of your leaders, find someone who's a mature believer and ask them to walk through that with you and think. Because there can be some uh, things that, that you can do that outwardly that reflect that inward reality a little more and help you make progress faster on those things, right? Galatians 5 says, you know, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Those are the things we're moving away from. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. See that connection of seeking fruitfulness, fleeing from one thing and towards righteousness. No one abides in him, 1 John 3, 6. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. So we ought to see this pattern of growing pattern of obedience, growing pattern of love for God's people, growing pattern of love for God in our life as we continually and it's a daily thing sometimes for every believer to be repenting and confessing and repenting and turning and pursuing. Don't forget that because Christ lives in me. You just can't have God in you and not change. You just can't. We're going to be singing the word today. And I listened a little bit of what Darby said. We're going to be singing about this today to one another and encouraging one another through that. It's going to be amazing. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit then, because we're turning from, we're mortifying deeds of the flesh, and we're cultivating fruits of the Spirit. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. And we see that listed out in some ways. In Galatians 5, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's The fruit kind of looks like all this. And by the way, what is... We, can, we, we give our Sunday school nod about that, right? But at all times, no matter what it is you're doing, even when you're saying hard things or having to address difficult things or you're responding to, to mistreatment from others, a godly response is always kind, gentle, self-control. And regardless of what's going on outside of me, if I see something beside that, that didn't come from a heart of righteousness, did it? It comes from something else. It, it, it can't come from that. So the fruit is, is, a, is, is God's kind way to help us get an outward observation of what's going on inside of us. You get that? It's hard to kind of unzip the heart and go, oh, yeah, look there. I'm, I'm 32% Jesus today, right? You, you just can't do that. And so we can't, we can't really counsel like Jesus who just walked right up to the rich young ruler. Hey, I made you. I know you. And let me just get right to it. Right? We can't do that. We, we can't observe, we have, to, we have to observe things outwardly and say, what does this tell me about, first of all, me as a worshiper? What does this tell me about you as a worshiper? Because, as I've stated several times yesterday, and believe this, you never do anything that your heart doesn't tell you to do, ever. So what's going on? If you like these little crime scene investigation kind of TV shows and stuff, you're leaving evidence everywhere. You left a bunch of it in the car on the way here today. You're going to drop it all through the hallways out here and you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to leave some more evidence the rest of the day. Pay attention. Pay attention. If somebody's walking around you picking that stuff up and dropping it in buckets and analyzing it and thinking about it, what conclusions are they going to draw? Get some insight. You know why? Because we're regularly blinded to a lot of things like that. And we need the Lord to squeeze us a little bit here and there to see what pops out so we can pay attention. And we have that ability to do something about that with the Lord because of our union with Christ. We depend upon Him. We have that ability. Fruit bearing is not a natural outworking of the unaided, unredeemed human nature. 
So we invite the Holy Spirit. We invite Him. We pray for Him to bring fruit in our life. And we thank Him when He does and we recognize it. Because it's not always about bad fruit. We want to see the good things and be affirmed in that and be encouraged by that. And sometimes we can get a little too introspective and go, well, that was good. It wasn't great. But, you know, Tim of three months ago might have done a lot worse. So praise the Lord for that. And let's see how I can do better next time. We want to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Every Spirit-led action, everyone can now be done in Christ. Bringing honor to the Lord. Just dozens of references to Paul's actions and exhortations for believers in the New Testament. To act in Christ, as unto the Lord, in the Lord. Look for that phrase everywhere. To remember this, by the way, we talk, just our dependence, it, it just has this crushing effect on pride and, 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 uh, and it gives us confidence in Christ, not in ourselves, which is where it should be, working in us. And, and then the response to that is gratitude, humility and gratitude, expecting God to do great things because that's who he is. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, My beloved, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So we're inviting God to prune us so we can bear more fruit, and we thank Him when He does. We invite the Spirit to, to produce more fruit, and we thank Him when He does. We invite God to bring discipline into our lives. You realize in Hebrews 12, and 12 This is not the spanking kind of discipline. It's the discipline that the Lord gives us like we would discipline us to grow. Right? Just the the presence of God's heavy hand on us sometimes when it's there and His discipline is evidence that you belong to Him. That alone. It's not a great feeling sometimes, but we're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It is God's hand on us. And we humble ourselves and recognize that first and foremost, this is more evidence that I belong to him. So it must be good. It must be good. It must be what's right right now. It must be what should be the most important thing in my life right now. Even though it's interrupted all the other stuff that I thought was more important. It's especially evident in our suffering. That he disciplines us for our good so we can share in his holiness. We suffer patiently because Christ also suffered for you, 1 Peter 2.21, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. We suffer to share in his glory when he returns because God conforms us to Christ through our suffering. Faithfulness in our suffering brings honor to the Lord because we portray what Jesus is like to others. You see that? When we suffer as Christ, we're showing the world what that looks like, what he looks like. We're pointing them to Christ and we're bringing attention of others to God, believers and unbelievers, when we do. In some of my greatest trials, a lot of the people that I've been working with at my job for a long time, they take notice. They know who I am. They know my testimony. And this is not, again, about Tim, but I want them to see the Lord during those times. And I'm reminded when I walk in to those doors. And I want them to be paying attention and watching the Lord work. And I want them to see the real work the Lord's doing, whether or not I'm healed or whatever is going on. So in obedience and in participation with the Spirit, we want to cultivate fruit. That means attending to the roots, not just the... Again, we're observing the outer fruit. We're saying, what does that reflect down deep? And that we call those the roots, right? The things that produce that or the stalks that are holding them up, however many agrarian things you want to, want to paint uh, in that picture. 
Fertilize and watering, right? God's work is our motivation and focus. That's the root. We fertilize, we water because we bring the word into our lives, we meditate upon it, and we think about what obedience looks like, and then we go act out of faith. We go act. We emphasize, we rehearse in our mind over and over again our position in Christ, which becomes a motivation for you to do the hard things when you don't feel like it. I think that's important because it increases an awareness of the riches that you have of God's grace. If all you do is focus only on your progress, is to take your eyes off Christ and put them on you. Your maturity is based on Christ's work in you. A work that's, by the way, already finished and perfect so much that it's just guaranteed. Let her see, take assurance and security in that the greatest of all breakthroughs is behind you, not ahead of you. That's a good reminder. He's already solved my greatest problem. Done. That's a pretty good down payment and guarantee that things are going to go pretty good from there. As a matter of fact, the Lord is more committed to my sanctification than I am to the passing pleasures of my own sin. Got that? I need that. I need that. I need benevolent sovereignty in my life in every capacity, even when I'm not reflecting it so much. And focus on your Savior instead of your strength and your faith. What matters is not how strong your faith is, but how strong your Savior is. He's your great shepherd. Okay? So, that's number two. Seek fruitfulness. Bear fruit. Stomp that pretty good. And then number three, seek togetherness. We're not simply in Christ as isolated individuals. We get to practice that today. We get to practice that every Sunday. It's the best day of the week and the most precious place on earth when we get to do this. We are not simply in Christ as isolated individuals. All true believers are spiritually one in Christ in spite of your differences. Visible Christian unity that's focused on our spiritual commonality in Christ is such a powerful evangelistic tool in how we love one another and how we rejoice together. In Christ, we're unified and forever dependent upon one another in that regard. Tangible expressions or testimonies of our gospel love. By this, all men will know, John 13, that you are my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. That's, let's not forget that. That is powerful. Concrete acts of fellowship. United worship. Cooperative missions together. Demir says, how can any professing Christian hold at arm's length a fellow believer whom Jesus has eternally accepted? Lord, forgive us when we stiff arm other believers, especially in our own local church family. So in conclusion, yay. (laughs) In conclusion, we need continual reminders of this in our life. It's an important doctrine. It is so foundational. We can weave almost anything about Christian living through it and that that it just makes it possible and it starts there and then just grows. It makes it joyful. Um, It just means so much to us. I think it's important to emphasize in Christ a lot, in faith, in Christ, Christ in us. You can, you can, because of Christ, appropriate what you have already. You can and you will. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 
I don't like lectures, so I'm going to ask if you guys have any questions or any comments or any applications or, or whatever. And then I think we'll give the rest of the time back to the Fellowship of the Saints in Christ.